play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Tiffany Thiessen, now with 100% less amber. Tiffany is best known for playing perky Bayside cheerleader Kelly Kapowski on Saved by the Bell and Valerie Malone on Beverly Hills 90210. And those roles pretty much cemented her as America's top teen crush. Something that I was not fully aware of until she came into the radio station studio to do this interview. And suddenly every man between the ages of 32 and 45 was like crawling out of their offices. They had caught her scent and they were trying to find her and have a picture taken. Sounds a lot creepier than it was. (laughs) All I'm saying is the people love Tiffany. And she has continued acting throughout the years. But several years ago, she shifted her focus to food. Tiffany hosts Dinner at Tiffany's on the Cooking Channel, and she just released her first cookbook. It's called Pull Up a Chair, Recipes from My Family to Yours. When we chat, Tiffany shares the dish that she cooked to lure in her husband of 13 years, and I put on my reporter pants to ask the hard questions. It's my reporter voice. Who had better food, the Max or the Peach Pit? Well, they both sucked. That conversation got me curious about the food that you see on TV shows and movies. So I reached out to Chris Oliver, who's been a Hollywood food stylist for three decades. She's prepared the on-camera food for hundreds of television shows and movies. Shows like Friends, Seinfeld, Mad About You, American Horror Story, Fresh Off the Boat, Big Little Lies, and literally hundreds of others. And how lucky are we? She did the food for 90210. So we can ask Chris Oliver why it sucked. And I take a field trip to Salumi, one of the country's most celebrated artisan cured meat producers, started by the Batali family. Yep, those Batalis. I ate a crazy delicious copa and fresh mozzarella sandwich in my car. It's where you eat things. (laughs) And learned about the ancient origins of Salumi with the shop's new owners, Martinique Grigg and Clara Vineyard. But first, my conversation with Tiffany Thiessen. So just to start, I think a lot of people are curious, how did you foray from Mm -hmm. acting into food and having a food show and a cookbook? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Um, You know, I've always had a love of food and cooking since I was little. I was that little girl who would peer around the corner, looking into the kitchen, watching all the cool women in my family cooking and having a good time. And I wanted to be that kid in there with them. Um, So when they finally invited me... (laughs) Did you have to wait to be invited? Was it a ritual? No, I say that just because it sounds better, but no, they were sweet. (laughs) They were super sweet. Um... And then as it got, um, I got a little older, I was started traveling a lot um, for Crazy Enough Say by the Bell and um, going to different countries and learning different cuisines and just kind of appreciating food in that way. And then uh, in my 30s, cooking to try and find a man and, you know. And <laughs> did that then, work? It did. Okay. I've been married okay. for 13 years. What did you reel them in with? What did <clears throat> you make? Um, tomato soup. Tomato soup. So Tomato wholesome. soup and grilled cheese. Yeah. He's a Texas boy. I probably should have added a little short rib in there or something yeah, um, or some pulled pork. Um, But uh, to go back, uh, the TV show was really, again, kind of on a whim. I was um, shooting in New York City and I was shooting a show called White Collar that we did for, I think, six or seven seasons and living in a tiny apartment. 
Um, and we would go to Chelsea Market all the time, and that's where Food Love Network Chelsea and Market. yeah, Food Network and um, Cooking Channel headquarters were. And so I had this idea for a while, and I, I was called my manager and was like, "Do you think you can get me in a, a meeting where they even like listen to me?" And so he was able to pull the string, and I went in there, pitched the idea, and that's kind of how and the show up. happened. I know it was nice. kind of crazy. Okay, so the fact that Tiffany made a grilled cheese sandwich for her husband to lure him in is very personal to me. So many years ago, about 10 years ago, a boyfriend made me a grilled cheese sandwich. And for some reason, that sparked this tradition where every time I start dating someone, I don't tell them that it's a test, but I ask them to make me a grilled cheese sandwich. Actually, I do remember why I started doing this. Because I dated someone else who made me the worst grilled cheese sandwich, and he was my worst boyfriend. So I started to think, okay, maybe there's some correlation here. And it's true. My best boyfriends have made the best grilled cheese sandwiches, and that one dude made the worst. Why why was it the worst? What made it so bad? Okay. First of all, he used whole wheat bread, which I'm fine with in other sandwich capacities. But when you're making grilled cheese, it has to be sourdough or potato bread or buttermilk bread or even like Wonder Bread or something. But the worst crime that he committed was that he cooked it at too high of a heat. So the cheese just got sweaty and the outside was like burning, but the inside wasn't fully melted. Mm-hmm. And then actually the worst, worst part was that he presented it all prideful, like it was the best sandwich ever. And it was the worst. Oh, honey. I don't know what you're saying. He ain't good enough for my Rachel. That's, he is the worst. He really is. Sorry if he's listening. But yes. So it seems like Tiffany passed the test because her husband went and married her. So you grew up, you did modeling and you did beauty pageants and then acting. So, you know, now that you're in the spotlight for cooking and food, Mm -hmm. is that something that you have to fight for a little bit where people are like, you cook, you know, do you even eat kind of that stuff that gets put on? Well, if anybody, if anybody watched my show, that was one thing that people (laughs) used to say all the time. They're like, wow, you really eat the food that you make because I'm stuffing my face on camera. People were shocked that I did that. Hmm. I'm like, it is a cooking show. And I am having my friends over. Why wouldn't I eat? Right. But I think there are a lot of people, probably, you know, certain chefs that probably maybe they don't eat. But I'm also not a size two. So there you go. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. I've gave that up a long time ago. You know, when you have kids, priorities change. Right. Um, I stay healthy. I work out, you know, do all those things. But I love food. I love good food. I mean, not that I don't eat healthy food, too. Like, I love it. We grow vegetables. We have chickens. Like, we we really try. Yeah, we do. We try to have, like, a little farm. We have, like, you know, we try to feel like we're in Seattle, but we're not. (laughs) An L.A. farm. (laughs) I know, right? We try. So let's talk about your last meal. What would you choose to Mm. eat for your last meal? I would love a huge, and I'm talking massive, cheese and charcuterie plate. Like, but to the bomb, like not just simple stuff. Like I want to, I want even oysters on there. Like I I want like good stuff, you know, like that's another one you got to look at. Um, And a massive bottle of wine. And I would be a very happy girl. I'm imagining like, honey, I shrunk the kids, but the opposite. You just have these like comically (laughs) huge bottles of wine and you're inside one of the Swiss cheese holes. Oh, I have, I love that idea actually. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so great. Let's build a set. Yes. So if you're building your perfect charcuterie board, Mm -hmm. what would you put on it? I mean, there's not a cheese that my mouth has not found that hasn't said more. So (laughs) it runs the gamut there. I like it all. I'm not an artist. I can't draw. Like, my husband's an artist. Um, But cooking to me is kind of my sort of artistic sort of, like, it's a canvas for me. Putting those together are so beautiful to me. It's true. Um, And the style that I love to do is not so much how nowadays I feel like all the charcuterie and cheese plates are just packed it's like loaded with stuff. I like a little air and I like a little space and I like to see my food kind of spread out a little bit. And 
I feel like, you know, I need room to put my hands in it and grab it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a big board that you're oh, using Oh, I have underneath. a massive board. It's about as long as this table. It's, Are you serious? Oh, I'm not kidding you. It's huge. Wow. It's, you have a lot of room nuts. to breathe on that. And it takes me and my husband to have to carry it in. Yeah. I can't carry That's it That's crazy. It makes me think of when you see those parties where there's like a nude hot man oh with my like gosh. sushi all over yes, his body. Yes, I love that you turned it to a man too, by the way, because it's usually women. I like how you think. <laughs> Thank you. I think I saw it on one of the like Sex in the City movies or something. Oh, I think they had a dude doing it. You're right. Oh, I no, do. Samantha, she put it on her body. That's what it was. You're right. And yep. then her man never yep, came yep, home. Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh, that was horrible. And she started eating off herself. Off herself. Yeah. yeah, I remember. <laughs> I, this is I probably would do that, too. <laughs> but with cheese and a giant bottle of wine. Exactly. Yeah. A little brie here, mm-hmm. a little blue there. Just cover it right up. A little <laughs> brie pasty, whatever. Love it. Yeah. Do you have any guide to making the perfect charcuterie board? I mean, I know you say, like, kind of do whatever you want, but is there anything well, as I can far tell as, you like, how I do it. I'll tell you how I yeah. do it. I literally throw everything that I think I'm going to use, almost like colors of paint, right? And I throw it out on my large counter, and then I put the board out. And then I, what I usually do is add the cheeses first, and then I add all the extras, like the nuts and the dried fruits and fresh fruit and any of the meats that I do. I try to, you know, make sure that no colors are too close together that are similar so that it has like a nice flow to it. I always make sure it's super important that, you know, cheeses that could be bite-sized are bite-sized. You know, I don't like people having to constantly use a cheese knife. I think that's just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You should have it in your mouth as fast use as possible. Your hands. Yes. <laughs> so those are some of my little tips. Tiffany wants a giant cheese and charcuterie board for her last meal. So in the third act of the show, we will learn about the history of cured meats from the owners of Salumi. But when we come back, I chat with Chris Oliver, the food stylist who made Elaine's Big Salad on Seinfeld and whipped up some edible fake barf for Reese Witherspoon to spew on Big Little Lies. It's so fun. We'll be right back. Just a ferry ride away from Seattle is the Kitsap Peninsula, a land of gorgeous forests, sparkling water for kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding, and adorable seaside towns with locally owned boutiques and family-owned restaurants. I have done so many day trips to the Kitsap Peninsula, wine tasting on Bainbridge Island, a girl's trip to Paul's Bow, ice cream and architecture in Port Gamble, watching the seals play from the beach in Port Orchard, and I still haven't seen it all. If you're like me and like off-the-beaten-path places where the locals vacation, you are going to love the Kitsap Peninsula. And this month, we're talking about Bremerton and Silverdale. So Bremerton is known as a naval town, and there are museums if you're into the big ships. But the restaurant scene has been really growing over the past several years. Grab a bowl of clam chowder or homemade lumpia at Bremerton's veteran-owned Axe and Arrow. And visit a land and garden to see meticulously trimmed bonsai and a tree that has been around since 300 BC. Plan your visit. Go to visitkitsap.com slash your last meal. You can also find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. (laughs) 
On both Saved by the Bell and 90210, the character's main hang was at a diner. On 90210, it was the Peach Pit. And on Saved by the Bell, it was the Max. I have to ask, um, who had better food, the Max or the Peach Pit? Well, they both sucked. Um, <laughs> why? Well, because it wasn't real food. Right. And they were usually bringing it in with like a restaurant nearby where we were shooting. And then by the time they laid it out on the table after rehearsal and makeup and hair and all that, it was so cold and gross. Like oh. no one wanted to touch it. Was it like burgers? Yeah, and it was always milkshakes. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's funny. I went from one diner to the next. Like it's really not, I mean, what the heck was that about? <laughs> like, And yeah. both were doing the same thing where yeah, they were bringing in Yeah, because that's generally what they do yeah. a lot. You know, most of them don't have like actual working kitchens where they're in there. Right. Um, oh, that's yeah. so funny. Yeah. And so did you have to actually eat it? A lot of times we would just pick the cold fries because that was a little safer than eating a cold burger. Right. Even though if it was pizza, I probably would do cold pizza because I do like cold pizza. But then it's like you think about all the people that touch it before it <laughs> yeah. gets to the plate because yeah. I don't know if they're wearing gloves and, you know, craft service. and Not as glamorous people. a job as it's, it's made really out to not. be. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm really telling you. Yeah. I am very excited about this next guest. I went in search of a Hollywood food stylist who cooks and styles the foods that you see on TV shows and movies and managed to snag one of Hollywood's favorite veteran stylists. Chris Oliver has been doing this job for the past 30 years, and she prides herself on always using real food. So when you hear about glue being used in place of cereal milk, she doesn't do that. And she also prides herself on being able to accommodate any actor's diet. So when a script called for a vegan actor to eat a fried egg, Chris used molecular gastronomy to make a believable-looking egg out of tofu and mango. And you know Chris's work. She has created the food for some of the most iconic scenes in modern TV history. There's a lot of food jokes in Seinfeld, so I want to know what you're responsible for. Did you make the big salad? Did you make the big sandwich that George was eating when he was supposed to be in a romantic scene? Yes. Top of the muffin, uh, the soup Nazi was me. The one of the funniest ones for me was when they, I think it was Kramer, turned into a turkey. Yes. Well, they asked me to just do a beautiful turkey, all golden, and all this stuff, and just you know drop it off. And I'm like, sure. I didn't really think about it. And then when I saw it on camera and what they did with it, I almost died. <laughs> I thought it was just the best thing ever. Uh, they put someone's head on my turkey. I've done probably 2,000 turkey gags on Friends. The guy got the turkey stuck on his head. So a this lot is, of turkey gags. This is a classic comedy thing, a turkey gag. <laughs> yes. Or, or, you know, on uh, New Girl, they they get it out of the oven. It's too hot. And they flying it against the wall and it has to shatter. So that's a gag. So what I had to do was cut all the joints while it was raw and then cook it so that it would explode, you know, when they threw it. When Chris told me that she actually worked on 90210, I could not believe our luck. But then I was like, how do I ask this question without saying, Tiffany Thiessen says you fed her cold, disgusting garbage food. Do you remember how you did the food for the peach pit? And was it food just kind of sitting around for a while? Was it cold? Yes, that was like actually one of uh, the first shows I worked on back in the early 90s. And a lot of times the prop master would you know, think, oh, I'll just run over to this diner to, you know, and grab, you know, 20 burgers and some fries. And, you know, he would pick it up at 10 in the morning and they might not shoot that scene until 8, 9 at night. So, yes, it would be awful. But when I did it, it was always good. I would, uh, we, I did uh, Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas dinners, you know, that were all edible. And a lot of times they would get mad because they, they would cut right when they were supposed to eat. And then 
cut to the end of the meal and nobody would get to eat and they'd be like, oh, can I take it home or, you know, whatever. And we'd let them take it. And then on some of my jobs, you know, they have a spit bucket underneath the table too because if they're going to have to do 20, 30 takes, they'll politely put the bite in their mouth and chew it. And then when they say cut, they'll spit it out, which again, I don't take offense to because I understand that how much can you eat? Let's talk about some of the behind the scenes tricks and secrets. So, uh, for example, on another episode of this show, uh, I had Darcy Carden on and she plays Janet on The Good Place. And she said that the frozen yogurt that the characters are holding and eating is actually mashed potatoes because they needed it to hold its integrity. Well, that's amateur hour. I mean, if you know, if any of my actors were actually eating yogurt, yogurt ice cream, I would make sure that they had yogurt ice cream that you can pre-freeze them and keep them in dry ice and then just keep handing them a new one. And my specialty is, because I am a chef, is that I can make any kind of real food or anything that's scripted. If the actor has food allergies or is vegan or whatever, I can make sure that they have something safe and delicious to eat, even if it's not what's scripted. It'll look like that and they'll be able to consume it. When I did uh, The Guilt Trip with Barbara Streisand, she had to eat 72 ounces of beef in an hour in the scene. And we filmed it over three days, and we actually went through 300 pounds of beef. She didn't eat all the beef, but every take, we had to replace it and take it and put a new steak in. And anyway, towards the end, when she was about to beat the clock, you know, she had to eat really fast, and it was really intense, and she didn't want to choke. So I seared watermelon, and it looked just like the steak, and she ate it and did her lines. They were so happy that <laughs> that they got the scene in like one take. And uh, if you listen very closely, you can hear the crunch of the watermelon. So let's talk about uh, the show Big Little Lies. Reese Witherspoon has a scene where she has to throw up and you were responsible for making this barf, uh, but you wanted to make it really tasty. So can you talk about what it was when you see that scene? What is actually in her mouth? Well, if you see in front of her, she's eating a a salad. So I took uh, mint and cucumber and lettuce coconut water, and then pureed it really smooth. And then I took another batch and I just did it chunky. So it had like a smooth, chunky thing going on, you know, and just sort of mixed them. And then she would drink it. And then she did about, I don't know, 20 takes of her actually spitting it out. And then (laughs) we were behind her. It was just truly behind the scenes with turkey basters, squirting it, you know, out and throwing it, you know, out of cups at the other actress. (laughs) It was pretty fun. And Reese was a real sport you know, throwing it up so many times until her throat was raw. She, oh, no. She didn't like me very much after that. <laughs> hey, man, you're not I, the one yeah. who wrote the script. Exactly. Chris also told me why Spaghetti Westerns are called Spaghetti Westerns. She says back when they were shooting those movies, there weren't any official food stylists. If there was food in a scene, the prop guys had to take care of it. And the prop guys tended to be men who couldn't cook. What's a guy's go-to easy dinner to make spaghetti so if you look at some of the old westerns you'll see them eating either a big piece of meat or spaghetti but then they did make a lot of westerns in italy yeah there was a while there in the 70s but this is before the 70s i love these little behind the scenes hollywood secrets they're so fun and if you want to know why actors are always eating out of chinese food takeout containers instead of putting it on a plate like my mom always made me do even though i wanted to eat out of the container Go back to our very first episode with Chef Tom Douglas to learn that Hollywood food styling secret. Okay, one more little break, and then we will be back with the owners of Salumi, an artisan salumeria in Seattle. Such a good word. And then Tiffany and I talk about eating dog food. Did a little survey on Facebook. 
lot of you people have willingly eaten dog food. We'll talk about that. <laughs> and Tiffany clears up a little rumor involving her and Jennifer Aniston. It's funny when you say something and then they take it and they uh-huh. just go with it the way they want to go. That's not what I said. Be right back. Tiffany Thiessen wants a giant charcuterie and cheese board for her last meal. And charcuterie and salumi are basically the same thing. Charcuterie is French and salumi is Italian. And these are cured and salted meats. So for the Italians, that's your prosciutto, your speck, different kinds of salami. And the French have their own cured meats, plus pâtés and terrines. And one of the best places in the country for handmade salumi and salumi wrapped in bread, which is a specialty dish called a sandwich is a shop called Salumi in Seattle's oldest neighborhood, Pioneer Square. Hi, what are you going to have today, sir? Salumi was opened 20 years ago by Armandino Batali, Mario Batali's dad. And in 1903, just blocks away, Armandino's grandfather opened Seattle's first Italian grocery store. Seven years ago, Armandino retired and sold the shop to his daughter Gina and her husband Brian. And last year, they sold most of the business to Martinique Grigg and Clara Vineyard. And I have to admit, When I heard about the sale, I was very skeptical. Salumi is a much-beloved Seattle institution. There are lines around the block every day. It's a tiny shop. There are no frills. It has old-world charm, amazing food. And even though it's only been around for 20 years, it feels like it's been there forever. If you don't live here, you might not know that Seattle has had insane growth over the past few years. There's tons of construction. All these cool buildings have been torn down. We're losing our dive bars. Lots of change in the city. So I have this protective feeling over little Salumi that it's going to be changed and that it's going to go away. And these two mean women are going to be responsible for it. But as soon as I met Clara and Martinique, I instantly loved them. Like I wanted to be their best friends kind of love them. They have so much passion and love and knowledge about Salumi both the business and the cured meat, that I am here to reassure you that Salumi lovers, you have nothing to worry about. Martinique talks about why Armandino Batali opened up the shop 20 years ago. This was really actually a passion project for Armandino. Uh, He was a Boeing engineer for many, many years. And then when he was sort of ready to retire, he had always wanted to do something in food and had a passion for cured meats. And so he actually spent uh, some time in Spain and Italy really learning the craft. So he apprenticed, I think, for almost a year uh, with some of the best cured meats makers in Italy and in Spain. And he really developed his own technique. So I think what's cool about what Armandino did is he learned the traditional ways of doing it. And when he came back here, he put his own spin on it. You'll notice that a lot of our products have sort of that foundation of that classical techniques, but there's also sort of an American twist on them. And Armandino loves to think about himself as sort of a cook rather than a chef and that he infuses his own flavors and and process um, to really make a unique product. And then about seven years ago, he sold it to his daughter, Gina. And so she came in and she said her... Her training for that was that Armadillo asked her to create a flavor. So she created our agrumi, which is an orange and cardamom salami, which is amazing for the fall. It's got this like really kind of rich, spicy citrus flavor to it. They use some non-traditional flavors, but manage not to give off the fusion vibe. They make a chocolate mole salami with cinnamon, chipotle, and ancho peppers. And they do a black pepper and curry 
Finocchiona. Can you explain what salumi is? Because I think for a lot of people, if you say salumi, they go, oh, do you mean salami? So so, salumi is basically the art of curing meat. And that's not just salami. That also applies to whole, what we call whole muscle meat. The distinction is basically a salami is usually ground up pork with ground up fat, special spices. And you can add special starter cultures to that. It's put into a casing and there's lots of different types of casing. And then it is um, hung and cured over time. So basically it's meat, it's salt, that's dried and cured over time whereas muscle meats are also salted and cured over time they're not put in a casing they're not ground up they're actually whole cuts of meat so prosciutto is a, is a muscle meat uh, and then we actually don't make prosciutto here we make some really specialty types of muscle meats like we make a culatello so culatello is basically considered the king of prosciuttos uh, and it is the heart of the prosciutto so the ham hock is sort of like the center of it when we make it here we actually use a special breed of pig we use a red wattle pig uh, and then we cure it for nine months. So when you eat it, it has this like nutty, buttery flavor. Um, and it is just delicious. And there's not many people in the United States that make it. There's only like two or three. It, it, and actually, Culatello is made in a, in, the, in a special part of Italy in the Emilia Romana region. And it's, it was almost lost. The art of making Culatello was almost lost probably about 40 or 50 years ago. It was revived in Italy. Um, and that's why it's very rare to find it here in the United States. Um, so, but we make it. Martinique says salumi goes back to 400 BC. It goes that far back because basically the mountainous regions in Italy that are really cut off from some of the more urban areas uh, in order to survive, a lot of them were really conducive to raising pigs. Uh, They had to find a way in order to preserve meat, basically. And so over time, the tradition has evolved in Italy so that each region has its specialty. Like you've got your Parma hams and then the culatellas out of the Zibolio region. Um, In Colonata, they're super famous for this lardo. And it created this like amazing kind of buttery, salty, crusty kind of fat. And it's still probably the best lardo that you can find. I mean, some would argue in the world. But what's really cool about that is that each area has a little bit of a different twist on how they do their cured meats, which I feel like we continue that tradition here. It's like we have that classical recipe and then we have our twist. Salumi is teeny, weeny, tiny, tiny, and they managed to make all of their salamis and muscle meats in the back of the store. And their sandwiches are freaky, freaky delicious. I forgot how good a cold sandwich can be. They make this garlic anchovy herby breadcrumb spread. And their rolls are chewy, but they're not so crusty that they bust up the top of your mouth. And they make their own fresh mozzarella. And they make these meatballs that are super sloppy in their sandwiches. And you should go. But not right now, because the show's not over yet. Let's check back in with Tiffany. So you have a new cookbook out. Uh, What do you think is the signature recipe, the one that you really want people to make? You know, the one that we've been talking about a lot just because it has a great backstory is my beef stroganoff. Um, And the reason why is that it was one of those recipes that I grew up eating. Loved my mother and she's actually a great cook, but it wasn't one of her like good ones, like yeah. needed to be kind of helped. And it looked like dog food. I mean, it really did. Let's just be <laughs> honest. Like a lot of people probably remember having that as a kid and it looked like dog food. So that I was one. wanting to eat dog food when I was a kid. So you maybe did? It wasn't so bad. Yeah, my neighbors oh, and I Oh, that one is day. one thing I can say I've never wanted to eat, <laughs> even as a young child. The kibble or the like wet food? That's what I really want to know. It was one of those weird moments where you're with your neighbors and it's like a dairy. We, we oh, all... it was a dare. It wasn't like something you were dreaming about? It wasn't a dream, but I wasn't like, I don't want to do that. I was like, hmm, doesn't look bad. I well, ate what some was the kibble. prize at the end of the tunnel? I mean, like, what was the prize? Were a, you going to snack? <laughs> I don't know. I had, I had a milk bone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so funny. You know, I have to say, some of the grocery stores make those all natural, like peanut butter ones. Right. Yeah, those, I would probably 
if it was a dare, I yeah. would probably say yeah. Okay. But I make my own dog biscuits a lot when oh, I have you time. Do. I do. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like oatmeal and peanut butter and applesauce and it's easy. Since Tiffany and I already talked about Sex in the City earlier in the show, I couldn't help but wonder, was I a weirdo for eating a dog bone when I was a child? I took to Facebook to find out. I asked you, the listeners, and it turns out that Tiffany is in the minority. 134 people commented, and I would say 90 to 95% of the commenters are dog food eaters. I used to eat milk bone dog treats when I was a kid. My cousins and I would swim in our grandparents' pool, and my Uncle Joe would come over with milk bones for his dog, but he'd throw them into the pool at us like we were ducks. (laughs) <laughs> and we would just waddle up and eat them with no hands. and it That was, sounds so fun. Yeah. They That's, were delicious. Were they good? Even I soggy remember. in the chlorine water? Yeah. That makes me think of how I wanted to eat Fancy Feast out of the little crystal bowl, also on the floor with yes. no hands. Like when you're a kid, you kind of just want to be a pet. I wanted to lick milk out of a saucer. <laughs> they just make it look so good. <laughs> One like celebrity gossipy kind of thing, but not really, that I just mm-hmm. read today yeah. that seems like you were talking about last week. Yeah. Uh, you almost had Jennifer Aniston's role on Friends. I, you know, they keep, it's funny when you say something and then they take it and they uh-huh. just go with it the way they want to go. That's not what I said. Oh. I said I auditioned for the role. Very different than almost got. You said, I liked the show Friends. And they're like, she was almost <laughs> she on was it. Almost, she, she was, she was going to be Jennifer Aniston. There was a cat fight. No, yeah. I know. It's mm-hmm. so funny. So no, that's not the case. I okay. auditioned for it. I went pretty far with it, but um, but no, it, I didn't. No, I didn't get it, of course. And I didn't like almost get it. It wasn't like they were, you know, deciding between me and Jennifer. Like it was not that. No. <laughs> so funny. You could have had that hairstyle. I could have. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very true. This close. And that was Tiffany Thiessen's last meal. Buy her new cookbook. It's called Pull Up a Chair, Recipes from My Family to Yours. And you can watch her on the cooking channel. Her show's called Dinner at Tiffany's. And you can check out a pretty cute photo of us on Instagram. Follow me at Your Last Meal Podcast. Now, the thing about this picture is Tiffany said she came straight from the airport. She had flew in from home. She woke up at three in the morning. She hadn't taken a shower. She's not wearing any makeup. I had had eight hours of sleep. I took a shower. I put on makeup. And Tiffany looks like a supermodel, and I look like a regular person. (laughs) Thank you to Chris Oliver. You can learn more about Chris and all of her magic at HollywoodFoodStyling.com. Thanks to Martinique Grigg and Clara Vineyard of Salumi. And besides the new ownership, the deli is about to experience another big change. They are moving into a bigger space. But don't worry, it has exposed brick, and it's only three blocks away. You can have some of their Salumi shipped to you. Go to SalumiCuredMeats.com. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and me, theme music by Prom Queen. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Leave us a review. It really does help spread the word. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is your last meal. Hold up. 